two foundations of Pentecost dedicated to the repairing, restoring, preserving, and perpetrating the foundations of Pentecost. It is our prayer that as you listen, you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And now, today's study from the Scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we're thankful for the privilege we have to come into your presence. I pray that you would be with us this morning. Lord, I pray that we would gain insight to your word that we would take and use in our hearts and our lives, that we would apply your word to our daily living, Lord, that we might share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, we are going to be beginning a new series and... uh, The title of our series is Established in the Truth. And we are going to be looking at the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. The key verse we find in 1st Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 12 and 13 where the Bible says, "...and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men." even as we do toward you. To the end, He may establish your hearts, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. The first phrase there in verse 13 says, To the end, He may establish your hearts, unblameable. And so it's from there that we took The title for our series, Established in the Truth. And so we're going to be looking at the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. However, in doing that, uh, this morning our lesson is not actually going to be from either of 1st or 2nd Thessalonians, but we're going to back up to the book of Acts. And we want to look at the founding of the church at Thessalonica. So this morning for our text, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, and we are going to be looking at the founding of the church at Thessalonica. Paul is on his second missionary journey at the time, and uh, he is, uh, uh, he has just left Philippi, and now He comes to Thessalonica. The Bible says, And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scripture, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and the chief women, not a few. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, 
These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. As I said this morning, we want to go back and look at the founding of the church at Thessalonica, and then we will continue on uh, after the uh, uh, looking at Acts. Then next week we will begin to look in the book of 1 Thessalonians and begin to, to study these books. But the Apostle Paul here was on his second missionary journey. Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas had split ways and Paul had chosen Silas to go with him on his second missionary journey and they went to Philippi. At Philippi they were thrown in jail and they were put in stocks in jail and they began to sing songs at midnight and there was an earthquake uh, that uh, and, and we know the story how that they were freed from prison during the earthquake. The jailer was about to kill himself and Paul said, don't harm yourself, we are still here. And the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And the jailer and his household came to the Lord. And then Paul and Silas left Philippi and they traveled down uh, the Ignatia Way and came to Thessalonica. And at Thessalonica they went into the synagogue of the Jews and they began to teach the Word of God there and proclaim Jesus Christ to be the Savior. It was Paul's... Um, as we look at the life of Paul, we find that Paul was one of the most, if not the most effective witnesses for Jesus Christ to ever be. And as such, it is good for us to look at Paul's methods and at, at uh, Paul's manners in which he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and learn from them in our proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of times, uh, and, and in this case, Paul taught in the synagogue, but we find that Paul's ministry extended far beyond a pulpit ministry. And, and Paul, but Paul was strategic in his uh, uh, methods and in his witness for Jesus Christ. Because he ministered at Philippi, then he passes through two smaller towns uh, that are on their way to Thessalonica, and he goes to Thessalonica to establish the next church. And he begins to teach in the synagogue, and this was somewhere around AD 49 to AD 50, that he begins to teach 
in Thessalonica. The reason that he chose Thessalonica to establish a church is because it was a large commerce center. It was a place where a lot of travelers came. And as we're going to see, Paul's ministry there, uh, though it may have been for a short period of time, it was long enough to establish a church. And when he left there, he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says, from you sounded out the word of the Lord. So Paul established a congregation there that then would spread the word of God to all of those around them. So Paul was strategic in that not only did he take the Word of God, but then the people that he ministered to and the people that he proclaimed the Word of God then spread that gospel beyond them. And so it went more and more uh, as, as they... And, and we, will, we will begin to see that uh, next week. But first of all, as we look at the ministry of Paul there, he went to the synagogue of the Jews... And he began to proclaim the Word of God. It was Paul's normal uh, course of action when he would go into a city. Often he would go first to the synagogue and, and, and to proclaim. And, and many of the Jews uh, rejected Paul's message. And then he would go on and, 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 and preach to the Gentiles. But... The Bible says in, in verse 2 that we read, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. He reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. It is important if we are going to to witness and win people to Jesus Christ that we use the Word of God. Now I know that there were times in the Apostle Paul's life that he may have used other things and, and, and incorporated uh, uh, other writings than just Scripture to, to draw the people in and to get their, their attention. But ultimately, he used the Word of God. There are some people that advocate and say, well, you, you can't use the Word of God because they don't believe the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of the joints of marrow of the soul and the spirit. It is important that we use the Word of God in reaching out to other individuals. We can use other books, we can use other things, we can even use our personal testimony, but there is nothing that is so true and so valid as the Word of God. It does not matter whether or not they want to believe it. It is still the truth. They may claim they don't believe it, but the Word of God is powerful. And if we use the Word of God, even when they say they don't believe it, the Word of God will stick in their minds and accomplish what it is sent forth to accomplish. And so they must use the Word of God. We must use the Word of God. The Bible says that He reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. He began to talk with them and dialogue with them. 
He did more than just, just uh, 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 quote a bunch of Scripture to them, but He reasoned to them out of the Scriptures. This is more than just quoting a bunch of scriptures. You know, sometimes in, in, in soul winning, and, and, and there is nothing wrong with that, but in a soul winning class, we'll, we'll teach different methods of witnessing. And, and we'll, one of the methods that is used is, you know, we'll use the Romans road. And so we quote to them, uh, we begin with uh, Romans 3.20, Three, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then we'll move on to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and we'll give them some proof texts and, 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 uh, to uh, witness to people. But what happens sometimes is we can quote the Scripture... But a lot of times we don't know what the Scripture means ourselves. We have learned just to quote it back without thinking about what we're saying. You know, I mean, how many times... I have caught myself in a, in a, a, a particular familiar passage of Scripture when I'm reading it and I start quoting it and then I'll, I'll get all messed up because I'm, I'm part reading and part quoting and I lose my place where I'm reading and because all of a sudden you're not thinking about what the Scripture's saying. You're just spitting out the words. And so the Apostle Paul reasoned with them from the Word of God. He took time to make the Word of God a part of Him. That requires meditation on the Word of God. That requires making it a part of my life. It's important for us to memorize Scripture to be able to talk to other people. It's important for us to know Scripture. And it's good for us to memorize it verbatim. But it is also good for us to have it so within us that we've meditated on it that it just flows out of us because we've made it a part of us. And so, sometimes we begin to use Scripture not because we're trying to quote Scripture, but because we've made it so much a part of us that it's just a natural outflow from us. And he reasoned. He appealed to their thinking. You know, sometimes we, we, we mistakenly and, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It requires the Spirit of God to touch the Spirit of man. But sometimes we think we've got to get people worked up into an emotion. But salvation is more than just emotion. God appeals to our logic. And so Paul appealed to their logic from the Word of God. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. 
Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come, let us reason. Let us talk logically about salvation. Of course, along with reasoning, naturally outflows and and part of it that Paul explained to them what the Scripture meant. A lot of times, we can read through a passage of Scripture, and that's all well and good, but when we're done with it, if somebody asks us what we read to give a summary of what we had just read, we haven't really thought about what we read to the point that we can explain the Scripture. And so it is important that we be able to explain what we've read. Explain what it means. And then the Bible says that in preaching the gospel or proclaiming the gospel, he was alleging that Jesus was the Christ. In other words, the word alleged means to prove. As a matter of fact, the original word there that is used actually means to lay along beside. And so, He laid along beside the Scripture and showed the proof, or laid the Scripture along beside what He was saying to prove that Jesus was the Christ. As He did this, what was it that He reasoned from Scripture? That He explained from Scripture? I mean, it's well and good to say that He used Scripture. But what was it that He used? And, and let, me just, let me just say... Paul was writing the New Testament at this time, during this period of his life. Not all of the New Testament had been written. Not much of it had been written. Most of the New Testament was, and and it certainly had not been compiled. So Paul is taking the Old Testament and proclaiming Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. When's the last time we ever went to the Old Testament to prove Jesus saves? Paul took the Old Testament Scripture and began to explain to them and began to preach to them and began to prove to them that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 3 says, Opening and alleging (coughs) that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. What was the sermon that he preached? First of all, he preached that Jesus must suffer. He preached the death, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. He preached Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sins. He preached to them that Jesus had to suffer because 
All we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned every man to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so he began to preach the death of Jesus Christ. But his death alone was not enough. Because he preached that he needed to suffer and rise again. He tells the Romans in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe, uh, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He preached the resurrection. We must believe in the resurrection. We must know. Paul writes in other places, he says, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then there's no point in us being here this morning. There is no purpose in serving Jesus Christ if He did not rise from the dead. But He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. And so he preached the resurrection. And then he proved to them that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the anointed one. Jesus was the Messiah. And in that there is the idea that he not only was, was uh, uh, the anointed one of God. But that implies that he was very God himself. That Jesus was the Almighty God. The Bible tells us that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Read that in Philippians chapter 2. And so he began to preach to them that Jesus Christ was God. The whole basis of our salvation is whether what we believe about Jesus Christ. That's why they got upset with Paul. That's why they get upset with Christians today. That's why there is so much... That, that fights against Christianity today. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. And we live in a day and an age when they want to say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. It doesn't matter if you're Buddhist or Hindu or, or Muslim or, 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 or what you believe. It, you know, everybody has their own set of beliefs. And it doesn't matter. Your belief is just as valid as my belief. Well, if I believe with my whole heart that 2 plus 2 is 5, I am wrong. 
It does not matter how much I believe it. I am wrong. And every time I do a math problem, no matter what it is, every time I will be wrong. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, that He is God, that He is the Savior of the world, you are wrong. It does not matter. There is no salvation in any other name but in the name of Jesus Christ. So John writes in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already... Is it in the world? We must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His deity. We must believe in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people that say they believe in Jesus Christ. But what do they believe about Jesus Christ? It is important to know what the Word of God says about who Jesus is. And just because people say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, well, if they believed that Jesus Christ was just a good man. You say, well, they believe He's the Son of God, but some of them say, well, we believe He's the Son of God, but He was created. God, Jesus Christ is God, the Almighty, the Everlasting, the Prince of Peace. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is eternal. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is our coming King. Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords. And what we believe about who He is is so important. There have been many in our day that have accepted as just a, though they were another denomination, some of the false cults. Listen, there are some things in Scripture, Peter says of the writings of Paul, said there's some things like in all other scriptures that are hard to understand. And when we read some passages of scripture, there may be some things that we don't agree on. That's why there's so many different denominations. is because 
you know, sometimes we read a passage of Scripture and we interpret it one way and somebody else interprets it another way. But there are some things that are basic. And the Bible is saying what we believe about Jesus Christ is basic. And if we don't believe that He is the way, the truth, and the life, if we don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we don't believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then we're not brothers and sisters. We have to believe in some of these basic things about who Jesus is. And so that's why it's important for us to look at some of these. And yes, there are some people that may believe different than we do on issues, but they believe the same thing about Jesus Christ. They believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And so we can have fellowship with that. But there are some that do not believe the same. For example, the Jehovah Witnesses in their translation or their supposed translation of the Scripture, John 1.1, instead of saying, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, they have translated it and changed it to say, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. Rather than saying that He is the God. And that makes all the difference in the world. And so just because a person says, I believe in Jesus Christ, does not make them ready for heaven. We need to know what they believe about Jesus Christ. The Bible says even the devils believe and tremble. Then we read about the seizure of Jason in the book of Acts. Jesus said that we are blessed when we are persecuted. There will be persecution because of our witness. There will be trial. There will be a pushback. The Bible says in verse 5, that the Jews that did not believe were moved with envy. They were moved with envy because Paul was effective in his witness. When we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we find it was the religious leaders who did not want to hear Jesus' message. They were envious of His following. When we are effective in our witness for God, there will be times that there will be people in the church and that name the name of Christ, that are part of a religious body, that will become envious of our effectiveness for God and will try to destroy us 
by tearing down and trying to destroy our reputation. There will be those that we would expect to support us who will try to tear us down. The Jews should have been the ones to say, that's right, look at what Paul's, he, Paul's using our scriptures to proclaim Jesus Christ. Hear what he's having, but that wasn't, they became envious of him. And they tried to tear him down. They begin to say, well, Paul's trying to overthrow the Roman government. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. There are times when people look at us and they will envy us and they will despise us because we do what's right. And there are times in our life when we do what's right that we'll find ourselves going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm doing my best to do what's right. Why does it feel like I'm being antagonized? I'll tell you why. Jesus said in John chapter 15, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would, have lo would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Not only were they jealous, but because of their jealousy, they began to make up stories. I mean, they, they began to stir up the people. And they twisted Paul's words to say, you know, he's preaching about another king. And so, he must be planning to overthrow the Roman government. He's trying to plant sedition, and, and he's trying to, to uh, he's becoming a traitor to Rome. And this guy is dangerous. And there will be those who will twist our words and fabricate lies about us when we genuinely try to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. But Paul and Silas did not let 
the persecution stopped them. The Bible says that they went on from Thessalonica. They sent them out by night and they went to Berea. And at Berea they began once again to proclaim the word of God. But persecution did not stop their witness. As a matter of fact, when we look back in Scripture, as I told you at the beginning, they had just left Philippi where they had been thrown in prison. A lot of us would have said, well, I suffered for the Lord, now I think I'll head back home and take it easy for a while. After all, they had been beaten and thrown in prison, so let's go let these wounds heal. But not Paul and Silas, they went on to Thessalonica. And they suffered more persecution. And then they went from Thessalonica to Berea. But you know what happened? They left behind in Thessalonica a church. The Bible says they, they reasoned with them for three Sabbaths. But if you read in the context and you know, they were probably there more than just three weeks. They were there for a period of time and the Bible doesn't tell us how long. But they reasoned in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. But it wasn't a real long period of time. It was, but it was long enough that there was a church established. And as I told you earlier, next week we're going to see that in the first chapter of First Thessalonians, he says, for from you sounded out the word of God, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but throughout, they began to send missionaries into the world around them from Thessalonica. They established a church that would send out missionaries to witness to the world. And the evangelism continued. Persecution has never squelched the gospel of Jesus Christ from the very beginning. After Pentecost, they began to try, even the persecution before Paul became the Apostle Paul, before he came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was part of one of the persecutors, and he was trying to, all that it did was fan the flames of revival. And it caused them, you know, what happens a lot of times is we become comfortable. We want to come to church and we want to worship and we want to, we want to come and just have our little fellowship and enjoy the presence and the blessings of the Lord. And so sometimes the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to let a little persecution come their way to stir them up and make them a little uncomfortable where they're at. And like in the life of Joseph, when Joseph said, you intended it for evil, but God meant it for good. The devil intends persecution to come against the church and to destroy the church. And God says, I'm going to use this to fan the fire. And he says, I'm going to use this because they have become comfortable where they're at. And so I'm going to push them outside of the four walls of the church and push them out into the community and push them out into the state and push them out into their nation and push them out into the world to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians chapter 2 
says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance into you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also of our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Lord, thank you for your word. God, I pray that this morning we might be challenged to carry the gospel to a world that's lost and dying and desperately needs to know Jesus Christ is their Savior and Lord. It's in His name we pray. This has been Foundations of Pentecost. We trust that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more, please visit us at foundationsofpentecost.com.